You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Most gracious and ever-living God, I give you great thanks and praise that you have gathered us together this evening. And as we gather together in your name, I pray that you would be in the midst of us and that at this time, ultimately not my words would remain, but what would remain would be your son, Jesus, the living word made known to us. And it is in his name that I pray. Amen. I wonder if you have a favorite a Christmas movie. Uh, perhaps you do. Uh, there, there's a wide variety to choose from, a Christmas story. Uh, if you prefer more of a classic, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, perhaps uh, White Christmas. Maybe you're more of a National Lampoon's um, Chevy Chase uh, Christmas Vacation uh, or a Charlie Brown uh, Christmas, a little less stimulation, Elf. Um, perhaps I've noticed recently in the rankings of Christmas movies, Die Hard um, has climbed the ranks. And so it, clearly there are lots of different tastes out there for Christmas movies. Uh, I reference one as I begin this evening, and it's uh, not necessarily, I, I think it's funny, uh, not necessarily my favorite. I'm not ready to commit, uh, but I've been thinking about this one recently, and it's Four Christmases. I'm not sure if any of you have seen Four Christmases uh, starring uh, Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Uh, and for those of you who have not um, seen it, um, I'm so sorry, um, and I'll bring you up to speed on the basic premise um, of the movie succinctly, but uh, Brad... Uh, is played by Vince Vaughn, you probably picked up on that, um, and Kate is Reese Witherspoon, and they've been together for a number of years, and they are in love, and they are having um, a great time, and every year at Christmas, um, they have a concerted plan, and their concerted plan is to avoid their families. Um, that is their plan every Christmas, and every year they come up with an elaborate uh, story to tell their families every year they're doing charitable work um, overseas and thus unable to go and be home with their families for Christmas. But one year, um, they're in the airport, they're preparing to fly out um, to Tahiti, uh, and weather interrupts their flight, and the next thing they know, a news camera is set upon them, and they are interviewed um, about their plans and what are they going to do now that their flight has been canceled. And they suddenly find themselves scrambling, and their cell phones begin to go off, and it's their family calling them um, and inviting them to come and spend Christmas with them. And so thus begins their journey, um, four separate households, four Christmases. And as they go to their homes, uh, things about their past, things about their childhood begin to be revealed, and, and they, like you and me, we all curate our image, uh, do we not? But when you go home um, to family, uh, many of the things that you've tried to uh, sweep away um, or hide, um, family loves to share those things. Um, and so all these things begin to be shared, and they see one another in a new light, Kate, uh, was known as Cootie Kate um, back in the day, bullied uh, and ostracized. And the big shocker uh, is that Brad's real name is Orlando um, and not Brad. Uh, his brothers are MMA fighters, um, and apparently each of the brothers, Orlando, Dallas, uh, and Denver, um, were named after the cities in which they were conceived. 
Um, why would anyone want to hide that? Um, but he uh, desires to hide this. So um, things are, are, are changing in their relationship. And then there is the um, possibility of a pregnancy, uh, a possibility of a child um, entering into their relationship, and suddenly um, things change. Suddenly they are um, uncertain about their present and they are uncertain about their future. Um, has the life they've been living um, been um, all that grand? Do they want um, a child? Are they prepared um, for a child? Suddenly everything about their relationship has shifted and they are evaluating it anew. The child, the possibility of a child um, changes things. And we'll step away, uh, we'll step away from that uh, at this moment, uh, but part of what I like about uh, the movie is uh, in some small way it, it steps behind um, the facades which we all create, and it begins um, perhaps to reveal what's true in them, what's true in all of us, what's true in the human condition uh, in the midst of uh, so much which is broken in the midst of all of our self-absorption and attempts to fashion uh, a reality and a facade and an identity for ourselves, um, that inevitably um, breaks up. And we need something larger um, to step into that. We need something um, grander. Uh, into that brokenness, grace uh, possibly begins to break in. Uh, and with that, change begins to happen. Uh, and with that change, life, uh, and with that life, hope. I mention all of that Christmas movies, starting and beginning with that, because uh, all Christmas movies, I think in one way or another, try to create something. They, they want to capture something, a time or a place or an emotion. Uh, they have a message um, to convey. But I, I say that they, they attempt to capture it, they attempt to fashion it, they attempt to curate it, and we hear this evening, once again, um, the story of Christmas, um, the story of God coming into the world um, in Jesus. And even though God comes into the world shockingly, surprisingly, vulnerably, humbly, we see that God cannot be curated. He cannot um, be controlled. Uh, he will come into the world. Uh, and in this shocking way, in this vulnerable um, child, in this gracious and patient way in which God comes to seek us, everything will be changed. Uh, the world will be reshaped. Uh, things will be refashioned, uh, you and me as well. And we have a contrast. In the gospel, which is placed before us this evening, we hear a contrast between two kings. We hear that this did not happen in a vague, uh, amorphous time, but it happened in a particular time. It happened in the time uh, of Caesar Augustus when he called for all people to be registered. It happened during the time when Quirinius was governor uh, of Syria. It is a specific um, time, and there is a sharp contrast which is placed between Caesar Augustus and the way that he would see and exercise kingship and the way that God will exercise kingship and the person in the work of Jesus. Uh, we hear that Quirinius uh, is overseeing uh, Caesar Augustus's call for all people um, to be registered. And Caesar Augustus works the way that, that leaders work and uh, that he saw the people as his possession. Uh, he saw the people as something um, to be controlled 
something to be possessed. He saw them as a means of something to be taken from them. Um, They're coming to be registered not for their well-being. They're coming to be registered in order that they might be taxed. Um, He sees them as his possession, and he calls them, uh, regardless uh, of difficulty, regardless uh, of hardship, uh, to go to their hometowns that they might be registered. And you may um, know um, all of this, but one of the things about uh, Roman emperors and that title Caesar, uh, that title Caesar is actually uh, a loaded, uh, the title Augustus uh, is actually a loaded title. And what that means is reverenced, uh, majestic, holy. Uh, Caesar Augustus had been known as Octavian, uh, and then he took on the name um, of Caesar Augustus, and he instilled a cult for the worship of the emperor, uh, that he should be revered, that he should be seen as holy, um, that he should be um, worshipped. He described himself as the one who found Rome in brick and left it in marble. <laughs> that was his description. That was his description of himself. And there's even um, a history uh, written about him uh, by someone by the name of Halicarnassus. Um, and I think Halicarnassus was responsible for the PR work of Caesar Augustus because he writes this about him. Augustus is the father of his divine homeland Rome, inherited from his father Zeus, And a savior of the common folk, his foresight not only fulfilled the entreaties of all people, but surpassed them, making peace for land and sea, while cities bloom with order, harmony, and good seasons. The productivity of all things is good, and at its prime, there are fond hopes for the future and goodwill during the present, which fills all men, so that they ought to bear pleasing sacrifices uh, and hymns. How about that um, description? Uh, Caesar Augustus has brought happiness and productivity um, to all people. Um, he even controls the weather. Um, everything flourishes. Everyone um, is happy. And as a result, they ought to bear pleasing sacrifices um, and hymns. But we know and we, we see in history the way that um, Caesar Augustus will exercise the peace of Rome is through power. Uh, it's through crosses and through crucifixions and through um, armies. We, we see the false promise um, in this history. We see the false claim in all of this. Uh, Caesar sees the people as his possession, people from whom he may extract something rather than giving life um, to them, um, taking life from them. And all of his uh, majesty uh, and all of his grandeur, fleeting um, as it was, that was how he exercised power. And we see in contrast the way that God will undo that. And the way that God will undo that in that time, the way that God will undo that in our time, the way that life uh, and hope will be brought to us is in this shocking fashion. We hear that um, Mary and Joseph, um, shockingly, scandalously betrothed, they're found with child. Um, They travel um, from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be counted uh, against their will amongst all the others. We find um, that they are among um, the common people, invisible uh, in the midst of all the masses, uh, and yet God chooses um, to come into the world um, in this way. God slips in um, to the world 
not to enslave. And the beautiful biblical word that we hear um, again is that God comes not to enslave, uh, but he actually comes uh, in order to free. There's a, a gentleman recently deceased by the name of Eugene Peterson, a wonderful pastor and author. And in one of his books, The Jesus Way, he contrasts the way of Jesus as opposed to the various ways of the world, both political and religious and cultural. And in one particular chapter, he's writing about the way of Jesus found in the way and the life of Mary as opposed to that of of Herod uh, and the Pharisees. And he describes the human condition, I I think, accurately, because he says this, left to ourselves, we are a fragmented and distracted people, jerky and spasmodic. (laughs) And I have to, I'm like, amen. Uh, I often feel that in my my own nature, in my own um, being. Left to ourselves, we are a fragmented and distracted people, jerky and spasmodic. And he goes on to say, sin does that to us. The cultural forces of both Herod and the Pharisees, and they're quite different ways, exacerbate the debilitating effects of sin by depersonalizing our values and our language. The more object-like, the more thing-like, the more impersonal we become, the more disengaged we are from our God-created humanity and from the God-created people around us. Prayer, as the Spirit prays within us, recovers our original place in creation, making us capable of ambition-free work in the world. It involves us in the grand reconciliation going on in Christ, setting us free for relational intimacies with family and friends. When Jesus entered the land of Herod and the Pharisees from that Bethlehem stable, everything, in W.H. Auden's penetrating words, became a you, uh, and nothing um, was an it. Peterson captures the contrast. Uh, For Caesar, Augustus, uh, people were an it. For God, as he comes into the world, um, we are a you. God speaks to us. God seeks us, not generically, um, but personally. Corporately, yes, but also individually, um, every one of us. For Caesar, the power plays very much alive in the world today. People are it, something um, that something can be taken from. But with God, we are yous. We are something, we are someone for whom something can be given. Caesar takes registration and taxes Uh, But God gives. He gives himself. He gives mercy. He gives forgiveness. Um, Ultimately, uh, he gives life. And we hear in the words from the gospel this evening, the words which God speaks, words of restoration. Um, Fear not, for unto you um, a child um, is given. God comes to give um, to us life. And I end um, with these words those wonderful, powerful, uh, succinct words from the letter of Paul that he wrote to Titus. We hear about the shocking way in which God comes into the world and the reason that we gather tonight um, to respond with worship, to respond with awe to that which cannot be controlled, 
but that which comes to give life to you and to me because we hear that Jesus comes to reveal to us God. Jesus comes to give um, to us God. Jesus comes that you and I might be sons um, and daughters of God and that we might be heirs of all of those promises and rather than something generic, we might be something specific, that we might be someone who is loved, who is restored, um, who is given life, And we hear um, the nature and the character of our God who is revealed in Jesus as Paul writes these words. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according um, to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ um, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Uh, Our hope um, and our security, um, our identity uh, and our worth are not acquired by us in what we are able to muster up and accomplish on our own, but we receive them as the gift of God given for us the people of God uh, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.